7.30 is the time, and of course time to join Harvey Stockman and have some of his reflections from Asia. Reflecting on the latest American success story in space makes me hark back to January the 20th, 2006. At that time, I had felt a vague uneasiness over the fact that reaction everywhere was no longer out with the old, in with the new. Instead, the atmosphere had morphed into forget about the old, think only about the new. This was because all eyes then were fixated on the imminent departure of a supercharged Atlas V rocket from the Kennedy Space Center, bearing a spacecraft, appropriately called New Horizons, which would explore Pluto, the last of the then nine planets to be visited by an unmanned spacecraft. What infuriated me at that time was that while the upcoming Pluto probe would have travelled three billion miles by the time it reached its target in 2015, Voyager 1 had already travelled three times that distance, while Voyager 2 was not far behind. When the most recent statistics were released in November 2005, Voyager 1 was already 9.115 billion miles from Earth and was travelling relative to the Earth at 90,000 miles per hour, while Voyager 2 was 7.292 billion miles from Earth, moving at 92.8 miles per hour. I paid careful attention to the Voyager space probe, and the fact that the then George W. Bush administration in the United States had failed to do that by suddenly dropping the Voyager project from the U.S. budget until it realised that doing that to the two spacecraft, due to become the first to leave our solar system completely, was hardly appropriate, to say the least. What I didn't know then was that at one point the Bush administration had also dropped the Pluto project from a projective US budget. But the enthusiasm of those backing it quickly made sure that a leading US senator earmarked it back into place on the budget. Of course, at that time I also paid attention to the Pluto project and the spacecraft New Horizons, which was initially subject to two departure delays first due to high winds over the space centre, and then as a result of a power failure which affected the project control centre. Finally, at a little after 3am, Friday, January the 20th, 2006, Hong Kong time, the Atlas V rocket soared into the heavens and very quickly the New Horizons spacecraft was moving at 870,000 miles per day, or 36,256 miles per hour. At that stage, it was the fastest departure by any rocket. Nine hours later, New Horizons had already passed through the orbit of the moon, in sharp contrast to the Apollo spacecraft, which had taken two and a half days to reach the moon in the 1960s. Having accomplished the fastest lift-off in the history of space travel, New Horizons settled down to cruise for nine and a half years towards Pluto at an average speed of 36,373 miles per hour. Today we know that New Horizons has already reached its main objective, Pluto, just as planned. What we don't know is that in many ways mission success was a matter of touch and go. 
Yet, as Kenneth Chang points out in a New York Times article on July the 18th entitled The Long Strange Trip to Pluto and How NASA Nearly Missed It, there was a great deal of uncertainty hovering over the project. Quote, the flyby of Pluto last week by NASA's New Horizons spacecraft is rightly celebrated as being a triumph of human ingenuity, the capstone of a mission that unfolded nearly flawlessly. Yet it almost did not happen, which would have left Pluto as just a hazy dot of light. New Horizons overcame sceptical NASA officials, repeated threats to its funding, laboratory troubles that constricted the amount of plutonium available to power the spacecraft and an unforgiving deadline set by the movement of the planets. Though none of the obstacles packed the drama of space exploration crises like the Apollo 13 mission to the moon, still their number and magnitude seemed unbelievable. If you wrote a novel about it, said Alan Stern, New Horizons' principal investigator, I don't think any person would buy it, unquote. At the turn of the century in 2000, NASA had seemed to give up on getting to Pluto. When their bureaucrats got together to plan a project, the cost easily started to rise exorbitantly, and so it was when they plotted a Pluto-Kuiper Express. Any possibility of getting to Pluto seemed to be finished when the scheme's deputy administrator announced that, quote, we are out of the Pluto business. It's over. It's dead. It's dead. It's dead, unquote. But some planetary scientists interested in Pluto were unwilling to give up on the project. They were encouraged by the advent of the two planetary orbits. Their persistence eventually resulted in the John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory building the New Horizons spacecraft, it had already built over 60 spacecraft, and also managing a new New Horizons mission. Like all planets, Pluto orbits the Sun. Each orbit in Pluto's case lasts 248 years. The orbiting Pluto most recently reached its closest point to the Sun in 1989. Already, therefore, it is orbiting again towards far colder regions, though for a while it is still, though diminishingly, warmed by the Sun. So for those interested in getting to Pluto, it increasingly looked like a case of go now or wait for a couple of centuries. But there was also a second orbital consideration. The quickest way to Pluto involved using Jupiter's gravity to accelerate the speed of New Horizons, thereby cutting the travel time to Pluto by between three to four years. Conversely, had New Horizons' departure from Earth been delayed past January 2006, it would have meant that Jupiter would be too far out of alignment to give New Horizons a needed boost. This, in turn, meant that getting the gravity assist just right was vitally important. The key to success was to ensure that New Horizons flew exactly through the aim point near Jupiter in order to maximise the boost. The boost of New Horizons was primary concern, but still there was time for scientific work. New Horizons was the eighth spacecraft to visit Jupiter, 
but a combination of trajectory, timing and technology allowed it to explore details no previous probe had seen before, such as lightning near Jupiter's poles, the life cycle of fresh ammonia clouds, boulder-sized clumps speeding through the planet's faint rings, the path of charged particles traversing the previously unexplored length of Jupiter's long magnetic tail, and also the structure inside volcanic eruptions on Jupiter's moon, which is named Io. These scientific observations were of practical benefit, as they gave the spacecraft the chance to calibrate and test seven scientific instruments on board, which were all given acronym names by their designers. They were, and still are, ALICE, an ultraviolet spectrometer measuring gas composition. RALPH combines an infrared spectrometer mapping surface composition with colour optical imager, mapping surface structure and composition. REX, a radio experiment measuring atmospheric composition and temperature. LORI, an optical telescope for the highest resolution imaging of the surface. PEPSI, a plasma sensing instrument measuring particles escaping from Pluto's atmosphere. SWAP, a plasma sensing instrument measuring the properties of the solar wind at Pluto and its atmospheric escape rate and searching for a magnetosphere around Pluto. SDC, an instrument measuring dust impacts on the New Horizons spacecraft during its entire flight. It was built by students at the University of Colorado Boulder. All told, only one thing went badly wrong on New Horizons' nine-year flight to Pluto. A few months after the spacecraft completed its observations of Jupiter in 2006, Pluto ceased to be a planet. Symbolically, the ashes of the American astronomer Clyde Tombaugh, who first discovered Pluto way back in 1930 as the ninth planet, are being carried in an urn dedicated to Tombaugh by his relatives, which is on board the New Horizons spacecraft. Tombo died ten years earlier at the age of 90, but recently the discovery of other small planets nearby, plus Pluto's low mass and small volume, led to its planet status being seriously questioned. So on August 24, 2006, the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, defined the term planets in such a way as to arguably exclude Pluto, which was then reclassified as one among a new category of dwarf planets. The new definition and a supporting IAU resolution did not and has not met with unanimous approval in the astronomical world. The definition stinks for technical reasons, said astronomer Alan Stern, who just happens to be the principal investigator for the New Horizons Pluto mission. He was also opposed to the demotion on the grounds that only 5% of astronomers had actually voted for the resolution. When a conference was eventually held at John Hopkins University to debate the definition in August 2008, no consensus was attained. But now there is speculation that as a result of the new findings on Pluto accomplished by New Horizons, there may be a move to formally reinstate 
Pluto's planet status. Certainly the New Horizons Pluto flyby has already resurrected the debate. NASA's chief administrator, Charles Bolden, recently indicated that he hopes that there would be a reclassification. I call Pluto a planet, but I myself am not the rulemaker, he said. While Pluto lost status while awaiting the arrival of New Horizons, it gained four previously undiscovered moons. Pluto's moon system is now believed to have been formed by a collision between the planet and another planet-sized body early in the history of the solar system. The smash-up flung material that coalesced into the family of satellites now being observed around Pluto. So, today the moons of Pluto are... 1. Charon, which was discovered in 1978 and is so big that along with Pluto it has sometimes been referred to as a double planet system. Nix and Hydra are small moons found only in 2005 by a Hubble Space Telescope team studying Pluto. Kerberos is a tiny moon discovered in 2011 and is located between the orbits of Nix and Hydra. Styx is a little moon discovered in 2012 by a team of scientists who were searching for potential hazards to the New Horizons spacecraft flyby in 2015. New Horizons seven science instruments made no less than 700 scientific observations when passing Jupiter. Besides searching for more possible moons orbiting Pluto, scientists are also searching for signs of a possible debris field generated by the theoretical impact of planets billions of years ago. I hope I've said enough today to make you consider the next time you look up at the sky that there is, after all, a lot happening up there. Where is New Horizons right now? Well, it's finished its five-month survey of Pluto and its environs. It is now transmitting the data from that survey to the United States, and since transmission is slow, it will be doing that for the next 16 months. But it has also set off on its own to traverse the one million miles between Pluto and the Kuiper Belt, a region beyond all the planets. Mission Control will be sending fresh targets for its seven instruments to survey, and then perhaps New Horizons will join Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 way, way out there as the only spacecraft to leave our solar system. Reflections from Asia with Harvey Stockwin. You can hear that program again tomorrow evening at 6.30 here on Radio 3. The program is produced by Phil Whelan. 15 minutes to 8 o'clock, time to join Anna Marie Evans.